You're listening to a sermon of Meadowbrook Church in Ocala, Florida. For more media resources, visit us online at www.nbcocala.com. This is such an important, I can't emphasize enough how important this series is for us. I want you to just lock on with me this morning. We're not here for long and we want to, we want to make this count. Church days do truly affect the rest of our days. Amen. Didn't worship team do great this morning too? I was just proud of them. One of them looked like one of my sons too. That was, that was cool. Uh, um, and I'm sorry, but I'm a, I'm a daddy and I'm a proud daddy. And one of my other sons is teaching in Disciple You this morning too. And so I just, that just blesses me. That blesses me. Um, and my other son is an astronaut and he, okay, sorry. I got on him. Take two, <laughs> the gospel. I'm going to make this statement and I'll probably end with this statement later on too. We, you and I, we are more flawed than we'd ever dare to admit, but we are more loved than we'd ever dare to imagine. We're the object of God's grace. We're the object of God's love. And we are the benefactors of the gospel. And, I, and it's very important that we get a clear understanding of the gospel. I'm going to go ahead and write this up because I want to keep it in front of you in every way that we can. But the gospel. Anybody know what the gospel is? Now, Alicia had mentioned... She loves gospel music. Some people only think that's what the gospel is. Other people just think the gospel is the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to see that this is the heart. This is the core of everything. The gospel. Now, I'm going to teach today. If you came needing a preacher today, I'll ramp up the volume now and then for you. Okay? But for the most part, we're just going to be teaching. And I need to review a couple things and actually expand on a couple things that we looked at last week that are going to help us with our understanding of the gospel. Historically, we find in generations, we see it with the children of Israel. We see it in our own culture, in our own day. One generation comes to believe something. The next generation, if this generation does not handle it properly, the next generation assumes it. And then if they don't change, the third generation forgets it or even denies it when we see that the truth though actually is to endure to to all generations so we've got to somehow break this cycle this digression where truth would be believed by one generation assumed by the next yeah okay and then the third generation they don't know anything about it or they they deny it and it loses its power So largely that has to do with us understanding something. When you have a truth and you understand the truth, that gives you a handle to hold on to it, to to keep hold of it, to pass it on to others. So understanding is very, very vital for us. We've got to understand the gospel in the right way, or you're going to end up with, and I'm going to hit this hard here in just a few moments. You're going to end up with either a false hope or a false guilt. Some people distort the gospel and they give a salvation light message and it's all applesauce and no teeth needed uh, kind of gospel. And that's going to give people a false hope. 
Then you have others. It's all rules and regulations. No matter how hard you try, you're never going to measure up kind of gospel. And that is so severe that people live with a false guilt. You come to know the truth and the truth will, will set you free. We're not living with false hope and you're not living with false guilt and you'll be living in the benefit really of what the gospel is. So that is why we're bringing real clarity and real emphasis to the gospel. Now the gospel, and I had you say this earlier, it means good news, but good news is not fully appreciated unless you understand the bad news. So let me go ahead and give you the bad news. The bad news is God is holy and just God is holy and just. And I'm neither. And neither are you. And he will, he will judge us. We will be judged by him. By his standards. That's the bad news. Because we cannot measure up. He's holy and just. We're not. He judges us by his standards. So we need... Class... We need good news. We need the gospel. The gospel is this, is that Jesus died for our sins, but then was raised for our justification. Romans 4.25 says this, who was delivered up because of our offenses or sins and was raised because of our justification. So he died for our sins. All have sinned. And come short of the, the glory studies. Uh, you can do word study there and find that the glory actually has to do with his glorious standards. One translation even brings it out. Everybody has sinned. And then we come short of his glorious standards. Jesus died for our sins. And then he was raised, resurrected from the dead for our justification. Let's talk about resurrection just for a moment. Jesus resurrected by the glory, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the will of the Father, raised from the dead. When you're resurrected from the dead and now you're standing there, it's as if you were never dead. He was raised for our justification. Justification, remember the Sunday school trick I gave you last week? When you are justified, it's just as if I'd... Just as if I'd never sinned. Raised for our justification. Resurrected as if he were never dead in that condition. So that we end up in this condition just as if we'd never sinned. Now we meet the standard. Who did the heavy lifting? Say it. Who did the heavy lifting? Jesus did that for us. Jesus did. That's the gospel. Now we're going to continue to just unfold this here this morning. Again, the gospel. And let me give it to you in another way, because you've got to have a handle on this. You've got to be able to articulate it. Everybody has sinned. Everybody has sinned. And the wages of sin is, is death. That's the penalty. That's the payday. And Jesus came and died, paid the penalty for us. That's the gospel. I'm going to go over it one more time because my goal, my assignment from heaven this morning is to make sure that you leave here knowing what the gospel is. Everybody has sinned except for Jesus. Everybody has sinned. And the wages of sin, the payday, the pension for sin is death. Jesus stepped in, died for our sins, paid the penalty for us. And that's the good news. 
Charles Spurgeon, famous British uh, preacher, put it this way. He reduced reduced it down to four words. And we're going to refer to this constantly this morning. Jesus died for me. Will you say that with me? Jesus died for me. Now those four words, can you memorize those? Everybody good? Everybody up to speed? Four words? Can you do it? Let's try it one more time. Don't look at the board. Let's try it again. Jesus died for me. We're going to bring such meaning to these four words before we leave here today. You're going to walk out of here with a handle on the gospel. Now, this, that Jesus died for me, that's the centerpiece of the gospel. That's the centerpiece. But I've got to give you the foundation. I've got to give you the underpinnings of this. I introduced these thoughts to you last week. I want to expand on them this week. Because the whole issue has to do with identity. Everybody say identity. We could block out his name. Somebody died for me. And guess what? That's not good news. That doesn't help me a bit. So there's a battle going on and it's been going on against the identity of Jesus. You can stand up anywhere in public, you know, put a microphone in your face because you just scored the touchdown. You just solved the problem. You just landed on the moon or whatever. And you can say, God bless you. But you say, God bless America. You start talking about Jesus, everybody gets nervous. It's the name that's above every name. There's a battle against Jesus because he is the way the truth, the life. No one comes to the father, but by him. So it's a question of identity here in the garden. It was a question of identity and the temptation of Jesus was a question of identity. If you are the son of God, then do this and so. And so it comes back here. This is where the battle rages. Who died for us? Who died for us? Jesus died for us, but I want you to know who this Jesus was. So the first part of the foundation has to do with what we call incarnation. Everybody say incarnation. And that means that God put on flesh. God put on flesh. You know the Christmas story. God put on flesh. He came, put on flesh, took on the form of a servant, dwelled among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and full of truth. John 1 14. But Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. You have to know that he is God in flesh, born of a virgin. Secondly, sinless life. He lived a sinless life. He was in all points tempted just like you and I, but he was without, he was without sin. Old Testament foreshadowing, symbols, types, pictures, of Jesus dying for us was animal sacrifices and the Yom Kippur, the high holy day, the, the atonement for sin. It had to be an animal without blemish. So if Jesus is the sacrifice for us, he has to also be sinless and he's the only one that's sinless. So incarnation, sinless life, ready for this substitutionary death. Who should have gone to the cross? But even if you and I had gone to the cross, it still would not have satisfied the death. Substitutionary death. The Lamb of God nailed to the cross for us. He died. He was bodily buried. Actually bodily buried. Then a literal resurrection. We celebrated that four weeks ago. A literal, actual resurrection. 
Then his ascension into heaven and his imminent return. It's important that we know that because guess what? That is the Jesus that died for me. Not just some teacher, not some historic nice guy who did some cool things and was nice to people. No, that Jesus, incarnation, sinless life, death on a cross for you and I, bodily buried, literal resurrection, ascension into heaven, coming again. That Jesus died for me. That Jesus died for you. You got anything to say about that this morning? All right. First Corinthians 1 17 says for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. What we find is Paul under the inspiration of the Holy spirit. Everybody with me. Okay. I told you we're going to be teaching today. There's snacks later and then we'll have recess. Okay. Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we've got to make this gospel plain. We've got to make it clear. He says, don't make it complex. Don't make it complex. Don't make it so high fluting, high church, so theologically, hermeneutically up there that we can't get a hold of this. We don't chain the book to a table anymore. And and it's to be open and clear. We need to have a good understanding of the gospel. He said, don't make it too complex. Make it plain so that we can get the power of it. If you make it too complex, you lose its power. On the other hand, you make it too simple, you lose its power. The goal is to make the gospel easy to understand. Follow this though, but not just easy to swallow. I hope you caught that. Not just easy to understand. Uh, or we want it to be easy to understand, not just easy to swallow. Now, I'm going to get rough here just for a moment here. There's a danger in our day, a danger. It's not a new danger, but because of media, social media and everything else, it's a little more dangerous because things spread much quicker. Okay. There are ministers and ministries that seek to be hip and cool and now and so relevant So relevant that they're presenting the gospel in a wrong way, in an easy to swallow fashion. And this will cause them to miss, avoid, or deny the point of the gospel. And the result of that would be this, it's going to lead people astray. And see, if the gospel is not presented right, you're either going to have a false hope or false guilt. And what I'm talking about is a false hope. And and I'm not going to go and refute everything that some people are teaching and writing books about even, but for us to come back to the book and just give you what it is. You know, it's said that bank tellers learn counterfeits by just handling the real. So that when the counterfeit comes along, you'll know uh, something squirrely, something cheesy about this, you know, and then you can check it out a little bit further. But we want to just look at the real here today. Galatians 1 verse 18, uh, 1, 8 and 9 says... But even if we, Paul is writing this, y'all lock on now. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you. Let me say this. Everything I've told you thus far concerning the gospel is what Paul has already preached concerning the gospel. So he says again, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Verse two, he hits it again. 
As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Because the danger is if you present the gospel wrong, you're going to lead people astray and they're going to miss the gospel. The other problem we have, not a new problem, is liberal theology. We're in such a polluted mishmash of politically correct Feel good, don't want to hurt nobody, ain't no good guys, ain't no bad guys. There's just you and me and we just disagree. How many of you know that song? All right. Um, Liberal theology. And that's been taking place. That's why half of the epistles were written was to combat liberal theology. But we have in theological seminaries across the land, liberal theology being taught. Now, I'll unfold this for you for a moment. I have found out that there are even some seminaries... That you would be hard-pressed among their whole distinguished faculty to find two or three Christians. Because they start to get away from being what is called bibliocentric, that the Bible has authority. Christocentric, that the supremacy of Christ, centrality of Jesus. Going into other things because they assault now, either through reason, revelance, or here's the biggie, the devil, want to... Take away this identity. If we can mess with that identity, think about this. If you were the enemy, if you can destroy this identity to people, then none of this matters. And so in liberal theology, here's what they start with. And this is because of reason or trying to be relevant. And I think all underlying it's the devil. First of all, is to take away incarnation. Well, a Nobody can be born of a virgin. Now, what are they doing? Reason. Reason. Do we live by reason or do we live by faith? And I'm not talking about crazy faith that you believe there's unicorns and there's a good prize in every box of Cracker Jacks. I mean, I'm not talking about crazy faith. I'm talking about a faith founded on the word of God that rings true in your heart when you step over the line and say, I believe it. And so the first thing that we want to take away, because listen... If you take away that he was born of a virgin, you take away that he was God who put on flesh. And if you take that away, then you just have a man. Just some man named Jesus died for me. I was reading on sports page a a couple weeks ago, picked up a newspaper, the place I was at. And Jesus plays for some baseball team I saw too. But But we would reduce it down to just some guy. Second of all, a sinless life. There have been movies and books that have come out and they've been bestsellers. They've talked about Jesus and all his women. And the temptations of Jesus and how he was just this guy and he ran a scam and all this kind. There's all kinds of crazy stuff out there. And it's all over the place. What is that about? It's to take away the identity of Jesus. It's to take away that he was the sinless, spotless lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. If we can reduce that by liberal theology, he wasn't God put on flesh. He wasn't sinless. And then here's the other big one that they go after is the resurrection. There's actually whole articles and books that are written out. There's whole theological journals that are written out that said Jesus never was actually dead. He was just stunned. You try going through half of what he did and tell me you're stunned. And then all he had to do was take a sip of Gatorade and take a BC powder and come back strong. 
And if you take away the resurrection, then this means nothing. And the Bible tells us here in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. To reason away these things. So if you reason away the incarnation, the sinless life, the resurrection, if you reason those things away, then guess what? Even if he did die on a cross, it makes no difference. I'm here today to tell you and to call you to step across the line of faith and to believe, to choose to believe that Jesus, born of a virgin, God put on flesh, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for you and me, bodily buried, literally raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and he will be coming back again. That Jesus died for me, died for you. I mentioned his imminent return. I'm going to go ahead and get out there and say this. It's not going to be May 21st. Uh, How do you know that, Pastor? Because of the Bible. The Bible says no man knows the day nor the hour. Not even the Son, but only the Father. So you're telling me that the father told this guy, come over here, take out billboards. I read this morning about a guy who spent his life savings, $140,000 to put up placards on New York City buses. And I'm going to tell you what, these guys are going to need a big cup of coffee come May 22nd. There's one guy, a professed atheist who has offered... 10-year pet care when their owners are raptured. You have to pay up front, though. Now, he's doing it kind of mocking. But I'm laughing with him. There will be a rapture. There will be an imminent return. But it will be in a day and an hour that you think not. He will come as a thief in the night. Not as a result of some billboard that's been put up. Plus, the guy said it'll be 6 a.m. You can set your clock, 6 a.m. on the 21st. If you're nervous about it, you should feel that way every day. Every day. Now, let me move on. I know. That's what I'm saying. All right, let me introduce to you big centerpiece doctrine here substitutionary atonement you say yeah pastor went to school this week he's got big words no no this has been in the works <laughs> substitutionary atonement first word substitutionary what's what's the root of that substitute you ever been cooking and you didn't have one thing you needed and you can look in the cookbook and you can what you can substitute you know gummy worms instead of eggs you know whatever <laughs> it works um Or how many of you are watching uh, NBA playoffs? What do y'all watch? Dancing with the Stars? What's the the deal? Let's pray now. Okay. But a guy's out there playing and the coach decides I'm going to pull him or he's injured or whatever. And what does he do? He substitutes. That means he puts somebody in instead of you. Somebody takes your place. Atonement. It means to make one again. 
Another Sunday school trick here. At one mint. Atonement. At one mint. It's that what Jesus would substitute and die for us so that we could be at one again with God. Now, the bad news all began in the garden. Garden of Eden. The fall of man. Original sin. Adam and Eve. Y'all with me? Uh, Just a little side note. I can remember going to the doctor's office. My brother and I, he's a little bit older than I was. And we're sitting in. They had those books in the waiting room at the doctor's. You know, illustrated Bible kind of thing. Y'all remember those? Remember my brother and I, we were looking to see if there was a good picture of Eve. (laughs) She's always hiding behind the bush, though. (laughs) Hey, don't look at me like I'm some whatever. Because we also looked to see if they had Goliath's head cut off and stuff like that. We weren't pervs. We were boys, okay? Okay. But I'm trying to get everybody back to the garden. Y'all understand the garden with me? Some of y'all are looking at me like, I'm going to order that book and put it out here. It happened there that Adam and Eve committed the first act of substitution. They substituted their will and their standards for God's will and standards. Their way for his way. They literally took his place in their life and lost his presence. All because God said, don't touch this tree, don't eat of this tree. He said, you can enjoy everything else to the full, don't touch this tree. Do you know what human nature does, though? You've probably heard this before. You know, mom says to her three kids, I've got to go across the street to talk to Betty. Play with this, watch that, you can do this. There's some cookies, you can have those. But there's a jar on the counter and it's full of beans. Don't get into the counter, into the can. And if you do get into that can of beans, don't put the beans in your nose. How many of you know in 20 minutes when mom comes back, get three kids that can hardly breathe? Beans in their nose. It's human nature. Human nature that what we're forbidden, we kind of go toward. And so they did this. And I'm going to do this abbreviated here. Adam, his disobedience, you can read about it in Romans 5, his disobedience brought sin into the world. And because of sin, sin spread to all. And the entrance of sin also brought, what's the wages of sin? Brought death, spiritual death into the world as well. God said, in the day that you eat of that tree, you will die. In the day that you sin, you will die. Did they die that day? Physically, they did not die for about another 920 years because they didn't know how to die yet. We're much better at it now. But they died spiritually. What is that death? Separation from God. Separation from God. You and I both know what that is. And you and I both know, although we wouldn't be actually separated from God, we can feel distance from God when we disobey him. You don't feel the peace. You don't feel the joy. There's something in your system that gets agitated. You're irritable when when you've got stuff in between you and God. Jesus died so that we could be at one with him again. Now, real quickly. Jesus is referred to in the New Testament also as the second or the last Adam. The first Adam blew it. The first Adam disobeyed, caused sin, caused death. The second Adam, Jesus, the last Adam came. He obeyed. Scripture tells us because of his obedience, he replaced the disobedience of the first Adam and brought instead of sin to many, he brought righteousness or right with God to many. He did this through substitutionary atonement. Real quick, 
I want to give you some verses on this. Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 6 from the New Living. Watch this now. Substitutionary atonement. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's plans to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the iniquities of us all. Romans 4.25, we read it earlier. Who was delivered up because of our offenses and raised because of our justification. Romans 5.8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 1 Corinthians 15.3, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. One more, 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just For the unjust, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit. Not only the forgiveness of sins, the removal of guilt and condemnation, but he also placed righteousness into our account. He didn't just pay the penalty. He transferred something. It's all accounting terms. He transferred. It was accounted unto us as righteousness. He put righteousness right with God currency in our account so that we are right with God. He paid the penalty, removed the sin, died for the sin, raised for the justification. And God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The great exchange, the great swap, the just for the unjust. Now I'm almost done. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. It's the one for the many. It's the just for the unjust. We see it happen all the time. We're watching it happen right now. The Mississippi River is flooding. And those that are in charge are having to make some tough decisions. I've wept over this. How do you do this? If they just let it rage, it will wipe out New Orleans, Baton Rouge. It will just wipe them out. This river, you've seen the fury of water. We've seen it so much in the news. They're making decisions right now to divert the water out. And they're going to flood some small towns, some plains, some farms, which is devastating. I wouldn't want our city flooded. But they're having to make a decision. The few for the many. It's always tough. It's always tough. And God had a plan in place, a tough plan. That he would give his son, the just for the unjust. The one for the many. Substitutionary atonement. It should have been you. It should have been me. And even then it wouldn't have made a difference. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the standard. There's a debt that we could not pay. And he comes in because of love. Puts on flesh. I've already told you all this. Lived a sinless life. So that he could be the lamb without spot, without blemish. That he could be that sacrifice for you and for me. Paid our debt, 
put righteousness into our account so that you and I could once again be at one with God. He suffered and endured what we deserved so that we could have what we don't deserve. You and I are more flawed than we would ever dare to admit. But you and I are more loved than we'd ever dare to imagine. That's the gospel. That's good news. Do you get anything at all out of this today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.